Starting in verse number 11, of course, we've gone through verse 1 to 10 uh, already, looking at uh, some of the things as to the reasons why Israel uh, was overthrown in the wilderness. And I hope that was a help to you. And today I'm just going to look at maybe some solutions here and how it is that we are supposed to take heed lest we fall and maybe give some insight here that will help you to face some of the temptations of life. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 11, it says this, Now all these things happen unto them for samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There, is, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will, with, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And he adds this last admonition in verse 14. It says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. So that must be a... Um, an issue among God's people, idolatry of all things. You wouldn't think that would be the thing that he would say to flee from. There's other things in Scripture that he talks about fleeing from. But here in this passage is flee from idolatry. And so we've seen five types of temptation in detail already. We've looked at lust. We've looked at idolatry. We've looked at fornication. Uh, we looked at tempting God. And we looked at murmuring, which is uh, the final step, that critical spirit and so forth. And these, I believe, they, they build on top of another. And uh, they're all a result of not really taking God's word seriously, not trusting God for what he says at his word. And when we do that, that's when our lust takes over. That's when we begin to put other things in front of the Lord. So today I want to look at four points in relation to this passage we just read. And the first thing I want to look at is understanding the world of our temptations. The world of our temptations. Notice what it says here in verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for, our, for an ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So basically the Apostle Paul here is referring to the, the time, the age that he was in there in the first century. And of course, that age that was in the first century, we're still in that age. Now in the scriptures, it's called the last days. The last day starts with really the giving of the Holy Spirit, the day of uh, Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you do a study on the last days, that's the first time it's mentioned that the last days actually has come to pass when the Holy Spirit was given in such a manner. It also says that in the last days that Christ, uh, well, let's go there, Hebrews chapter 11. It's worthy to look at that. Or Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, not chapter 11. Hebrews 1, and we look at verse number 1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so the, before the last days, God spoke to people through prophets and through dreams and different um, mediation like that. But the Bible says in the last days... He speaks exclusively through his son. And now that's an important thing for us to know because the world out there is trying to convince you otherwise. Uh, they're trying to tell you that you can still have a prophecy, you can still have uh, apostles and all these different things, but that's not what the scripture says. The Bible says now we are led through his son. Now what does that mean? Well, that means that when Jesus Christ went up into glory, he told his disciples that I'm going to send to you the comforter, the spirit of truth. And he will guide you into all truth. And he will tell you, the, he mentioned, things to come. And also he says you'll, he'll bring to remembrance uh, things from the past. And so what he was talking about is to the disciples saying that you're going to recall all those things that we did when, when I was here in my earthly ministry. And you're going to write that down in a book. That's what it's saying. And that's what we call the Gospels. But not only that, he says, I'm also going to reveal to you things to come. Remember, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear them. And so there are some things that he needed to reveal after he went up to glory. And he did that through the Holy Spirit of God. And he did that as he spoke through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And they wrote it down in a book. Amen. So when it's talking about Jesus Christ speaking unto us 
exclusively in the last days, it's talking about this book right here. Amen? We have it all. It's all complete. And so they didn't have that in the first century for much of it. Uh, that was still being compiled. Amen? And so what we know is that it is the word of Christ. Jesus Christ gave the word through the Holy Spirit to the writers, and they put it down into a book, and we have it today. And so that was a mark of the last days. So we know that we are in the last days based upon that definition in the scripture. And so we live in a unique time. The ends of the world are upon us. The ends. Not just one end. Everybody talks about the end of the world. Well, the Bible says ends as in plural. And there's many things that, especially for us today, that we're looking forward to that mark the ends of certain things. And I believe that's, that a lot ha that, that has to do with dispensationalism and the change of the church age and the introduction of the church, church age and the tribulation and the kingdom and so forth, different things like that. But the characteristic of this world is in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Boy, do we ever live in those days, amen? We, I mean, this is the mark of our society. <clears throat> it goes on to say, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, the Bible says. So that's a mark of the last days. That's what's happening right now within our society. <clears throat> Just heard today, the Bloc Quebecois has introduced a bill to actually make it illegal for us to quote and to preach and to say certain things out of the scripture. And so they would be able to put us in jail and so forth. Now, I hope that our government isn't that far gone, but I, I'm wondering about that. Uh, but, you know, that is a constitutional problem, really. That's something for them to get over. But that is the, the characteristic of our society. You have government leaders and parties and whole groups of people that are looking to put Christians in jail and to shut up the, the preaching of the, of the preachers and to stop telling people what sin is and so forth. And that's kind of where we're at right now despisers of those that are good, amen? And 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And that's exactly where we're at as well. I think one of the ends of the world that we're looking at today is the rapture. The rapture is one of those ends of the world, and I think that's coming. I was reading an article today. Many people will tell you that well, they only started speaking about the rapture in the 1800s by Darby because of dispensationalism and so forth. That is absolutely not true. In fact, you can find quotes from early church leaders and so forth going back to the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, uh, all the way up to the 17th century, 18th century, all the way till today. They've always believed. In fact, the early Christians, they, they, they particularly believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. Amen. Right what's going on today is, is, is a tactic of Satan to get God's people's minds off the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it's an attack on the church is what it is. He is coming and he can come before I finish this sentence, amen? And that's the way we have to live. But if you believe in a mid-trib, post-trib rapture, you don't believe that. You believe that the Antichrist has to come, you believe all these things have to come to play. Folks, that's not scripture, Scripture teaches imminency, and leaders from the beginning all the way to the first century taught and wrote and preached about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So don't listen to these stuff, that stuff out there. Don't let them twist your mind. Don't get on YouTube and start, oh, that makes sense, and so forth, because anybody can make something sound sense, like it makes sense if you don't have any opposing view that's scriptural. Amen? Anybody can convince you of anything if you don't have a sound foundational principle to guide you through life, amen? And that's why we teach the word of God around here, amen? And so the rapture, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, it says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And that's what's going on today. You know, it's worse than it's ever been. 
churches, even in the, well, I mean, it started the 1800s, probably was the kind of the climax of all of that, right before the World Wars, uh, where Germany began to become very uh, heady in their, uh, their ideas about the scriptures and so forth, and that's what impacted England. And that was part of the downgrade controversy that Charles Spurgeon had to battle for the last years of his life, is because of that mentality coming into the Baptist Union in England, amen? And so what happened there is they began a slide, and that slide has not stopped since. It has not stopped. So we think that, well, Charles Spurgeon, he must have really fought it, and he must have won it. Well, he won in the fact that he kept himself pure and right, right to the end, as other men probably did. But I'll tell you something, that slope that started there, it's still been sliding. And in fact, if you'll follow history, you'll see that Christendom has been sliding ever since. They're departing from the faith. And we're living in an age today where it seems like that which 20 years ago was looked at as really off for Christianity now is the normal. And now they're looking at people that are holding to the normal that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and they're saying, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Because they've drifted so far from where we were. Amen. A sign of a good church is if you, you can say they're exactly where they were 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. You don't need to change with the times. The Bible is relevant today. You don't need to take on the worldly music. You don't need to get that so you can get, get the youth all excited. If I got to get a drum set to get our youth excited, then I'd rather not have that youth. You understand that? You know what the youth I want? Youth that love the Bible. <laughs> the youth will get a passion in their heart for truth. And as you lift up the word of God and preach it, in their heart they're being stirred. That's the kind of youth we need. We don't need pumped up rock and roll youth. <laughs> Amen. We need scriptural youth. Youth that love the word of God and love Jesus and love the church and love, love the old ways. Amen. The old paths of scripture. I mean, you've got to teach them that. We can't teach them all this newfangled stuff. It's crazy out there. And we've got to be careful because we're in a downgrade. We're in a, an apostasy. We're in those last days where they're departing from the faith by the droves, friends. I mean, it's serious. Even groups that I thought would never be touched by this, independent Baptist churches are starting to slide in many ways. Some of these young preachers coming in, they're giving into this. Oh, well, you know, it's just a little, got to get in with the times and so forth. I'm not talking about putting a screen on the wall. I'm talking about getting worldly music in the church. I'm talking about changing Bible versions. I'm talking about serious doctrinal stuff. Amen? And we got to hold on to that here. We got to stay true. So when it says that we're, we're supposed to take heed lest we fall, it's saying remember in the type of world you're in. Remember and and keep in mind where we are today as far as the whole scheme of things historically. Because if you don't, you're going to lose track and say, oh, well, it's always been the same. And folks, it has not. You know, even in the Roman Empire, you know, I know things were wicked and they did terrible things there. But I'll tell you something. One thing they always did is they at least deified something else other than themselves. Other than the leaders and the, the emperors. But now people deify themselves. Now we've made ourselves God. Now we choose to kill babies in the womb. I'm God. That's what we're in today. (laughs) Now you may look at some Roman characteristics and say, well, I'm glad it's not like that. And well, me too. I'm glad there's no Christians being laid on fire in someone's backyard, you know, dipped in wax to make candles so they can have a party and they can laugh at the Christian that's been dipped in wax and lit on fire. (laughs) But you know, there are things like that going on all over this world. But let's, let's, not rem- let's not forget the type of world we're in. Where we're in this time where the ends of the world are here. The ends of the world are here. The imminent return of Christ is very nigh. And I, I hesitate to even use the word nigh because that's even implicating that there could be time. There is no time. I would say Jesus is coming back soon, but soon implicates that there could be some time from now to then. And folks, we can't even say soon. We just have to say the Lord is coming back. We can't infer time. That's how imminent his return truly is. And so we have the rapture. That's the end of the church age. We have the tribulation. This is the end of the world system. 
That's an end of the world. But I'll tell you, it's going to get pretty bad before that's all done. In 1 John 4, verse 1 to 3, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come. And even now, already it is it in the world. Who's talking here? The Apostle John, the last living apostle. He's saying, you heard about it. You heard how the Antichrist is going to come. The Apostle Paul taught you that. And now for decades, you've had his scriptures in your hand, and you've been reading about this Antichrist. Can I tell you something? These final letters I'm giving you, the spirit of Antichrist is already here. It's already in our world in the first century, at the end of the first century. So can you believe that's in our world today? <laughs> it doesn't take much to figure that out. <laughs> I think a lot of people... During the time in the last three years, it came, it came to reality for them that there is a spirit of Antichrist. And it's very real and it's very uh, tangible. You can see it within our society. You can see it within our government. You can see it all around us. Amen. And you can see the opposition to it. You can see the target of it. You can see all that came to fruition in the last few years. To the point where many people, I remember one guy, he said, I need to come back to church because I think the Lord is coming soon. <laughs> now, he didn't stick it out. It got too good for him, I guess. He should have kept on with that urgency and that understanding that, hey, it's getting so bad. He must be coming back. I need to get my life right. And there were many Christians that did because of that. And hey, that's worth it. Amen. And so we're living in the time of the Antichrist. If there's any time for us to be prepared and to be careful of being tempted to make errors and mistakes and doctrinal deviations, now is the time. We need to be very careful, very careful. Don't just, it's not a game we're playing here. Some people treat it like a game. It's like, well, I believe this, I believe that. Well, dummy, you keep your mouth shut around here. I need to hear your heresy. I don't need to hear heresy in the house of God. We need to hear truth. We need to hear the word of God, amen? We don't need our young people being polluted by, by error and false doctrine, amen? It's not a game. It's not a game. If you believe something that's different, please keep it to yourself and talk to me before you ever talk to anybody else in this church because I like to sit you down and have a conversation about it, amen? And I'll tell you, if this is not your faith and you're in the wrong faith, amen? It's the way it is. We're living in that time. Then, of course, we look at the kingdom. What's the end of that? What, what comes to an end? Well, all the empires of the world will come to an end when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. That's a lot of ends. That's just some of the ends. And there's a lot more ends, you know. It's the end of the church age. It's the end of uh, judgment upon the world. It's going to be over. It's the end of the empires. We're living in quite a time today that all this can be a reality within your particular lifespan. Amen? Starting today. Starting right now. Micah 4.1 says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And so that's a part of the last days too. So scripturally, where do you see the last days? You see the last days starting when Jesus Christ gave the word of God to his disciples, that they wrote it down in a book, when the Holy Spirit was given to empower the local church, and going on right all the way through till Jesus Christ sets up his earthly kingdom. We're living in those last days. And in these last days, there's many ends. <laughs> something starts and something ends, you see. So we need to understand the world that we live in so we can, so we can be ready for the temptations that we're, we're going to face. So folks, if the Bible tells us in the last days that some shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, don't you think we got to have our brains on right here? Don't you think we got to be, be ready for this and not just believe everything we hear and start studying to show ourselves approved unto God? Of course, we're living in that time. Now, everybody should always study the Word of God, but never more than today. 
But yet today it seems like people are saying, <clears throat> you know, well, you know, I understand the Apostle Paul had the letters, that first century church, they had the letters, they had all the pure words of God. But, but today, I don't know, we, we just got to do the best with what we got. <laughs> Can I tell you something? The sword today is just as sharp as it ever was. Why would God give us a dull sword during the hardest time of history? Amen? Why would he give us a word that is not preserved in the, in the time where we need it the most? We have it in front of us today, friends. I hope you believe that. <clears throat> now, I know, folks, and, and I don't want you to be offended by this, when people come into this place and they, they may tote an ESV or an NIV under their arm <laughs> or some other version. I don't want you to get offended at that because that's all they've known. But I'll tell you something, they'll, be, they'll come to a decision real quick around here, <laughs> you know. It's going to be hard not to. By the way, our memorization program is King James Bible, amen. <laughs> don't, don't stand up and recite something else. I'll say that's wrong. <laughs> understanding our world. Number two, understanding our weakness to temptation, our weakness. Verse number 12, it says, Wherefore let him <clears throat> that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What's this really saying here? It's saying we can overestimate our strength to stand. You can overestimate yourself. I'm not saying be a pessimist. I'm not saying be a defeatist. But I'm saying be, live in reality here. <laughs> Maybe you're not quite as strong as you think you are. And that's what the word of God is telling us. That's what the Lord is trying to get us to see here. Take heed. It says, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed lest he fall. It's interesting. Let, take heed, let him that thinketh he standeth. Whether you're standing or sitting or whatever you are, it's, it's really going to start where you think. And maybe nobody else knows what you think about where you're standing, but the Lord is telling you personally and individually, be careful of what you're thinking in relation to your stand. Because it's easy in our minds to look at someone else and say, oh, yeah, well, they just... They ought to be more careful about that. Well, and that's good as long as you care about them. But number one, you ought to say, I better be more careful about that. Our thinking has got to be different. We got to be the first one to look at ourselves and judge ourselves and deal with our weaknesses and realize that we can fall. We can make terrible mistakes. And folks, anything a lost person can do, you can do too. Now, you may not be able to do that for a long period of time, before the Lord comes and gives you a good whooping. But you can do it. Don't think for a second you can't. Oh, I would never. <laughs> I hope you would never. But folks, you've got to remember something. Take heed. <laughs> Take heed. Be careful how you think. To think means, thinketh means to imagine or consider or appear. It's amazing how we can formulate a mental estimate or opinion in our mind about where we're at and it can be so off base. You ever talk to somebody and started to verbalize that which you've been thinking about, then you realize how stupid it is? <laughs> it's amazing how that you can make sense of it in your mind until you actually verbalize it. Then the person's looking at you and say, yeah, that sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? Because you can make something a reality that's totally off base in your mind. You really can. And that's why he says, you better start where you're thinking. <laughs> Not just what you're talking, but where you're thinking. How you think that you can stand. Romans 12, verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Once again, he's saying, think Watch the thinker, amen. And many times we know that what we're thinking wouldn't be accepted maybe if we had verbalized it, but that ought to cause us to think, well, maybe what I'm thinking isn't exactly the right thing to think. Amen. We must keep our eyes open. This word, this phrase, take heed, it means to, it means sight or the faculty of seeing. Take heed, lest you fall. The Bible says you fall, and that means to fall into sin or to transgress. The consequences of thinking too highly of ourselves 
is that we will fall into sin and then become doubly discouraged that we were so weak. See, it's one thing if you're prepared and you make some mistakes and you say, Lord, I didn't catch that. But it's another thing when you start thinking you're higher than you are and then you get hit from, you get broadsided by the devil and then not only do you got to deal with the fact that you failed, but the fact that you thought you wouldn't fail. It's a double discouragement. And many people are discouraged because they, they think like they're stronger than they really are. Amen. And that's why he says, be careful. Think right. It's going to be those that, are, that know that they can fall. They can make mistakes. They can do anything that anybody else could do. It's those people that will be on guard. It's those people that will catch things before they come. And that will take heed and their eyes will be opened. But I'll tell you, the moment you start thinking you're, you're strong enough, you become bold and brash in your Christianity. Amen. When we overestimate ourselves, we take risks and we spend too much time close to situations that we ought to be running from. Because if I think I'm so strong, why am I running? I don't run from anybody. The Lord is my strength. <laughs> well, yes, he is. But he also tells you to run. <laughs> Amen. He tells you to run. Just because he's your strength doesn't mean that he wants you to stand in the middle of that cesspool and bearing that temptation day after day after day. He says, think right. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, or, or remember our verse here in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, it says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry, flee. So obviously he's thinking there's a time a Christian ought to flee. You ought to run. You ought to turn around like Joseph did when he was confronted by Potiphar's wife. He, flee, he fled in such a way, and, and God illustrated this so well. What had happened is she grabbed a hold of his jacket, and because he fled, see, it proved that he was fleeing, that she ripped the jacket off of him as he ran away. If he wouldn't be fleeing, it would be hard to rip the jacket off. But because he was going fast in one direction, it was easy for her to grab the jacket and pull it in the other direction, you see. The Lord illustrates for us that we need to flee. <laughs> flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Flee from that. 1 Timothy 6, 10, it says this, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You wonder, how is it that my love of money is going to cause me to err from the faith? It will every time. Because the faith requires you to think differently about money. The faith requires you to sacrifice. But if you love money, you don't want to sacrifice. You want to sacrifice other things for your money. But you will never sacrifice your money for other things. Amen. It's going to put you in a position, I've said it many times, the Bible says, no man can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other. He'll hold to the one and despise the other. That's why I always say, if you love money, you're not going to like this, these church services. It's going to get underneath your skin. It's going to bother you after a while. If you don't deal with it and you don't deal with your inordinate affection about possessions and the things of the world, it's going to eat at you. And finally you're going to say, that preacher ought to just shut up already. Because you'll hold to the one and despise the other. Amen. And it'll get to such a point where you love the one and hate the other. See, because you can't serve two masters. So he says, flee. It goes on to say, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So he says, flee those things. Flee that love of money. Flee the, the covetous heart. And flee uh, the things that, that are going to hurt you because of those things. Flee it. Run away from it. And follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love. And those things that God wants you to build up in your life. Amen. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lusts. But follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about these group of people right here. 
That's why you owe it to the person next to you to have a pure heart. That's why you owe it to them not only to have a pure heart, but to be someone that calls to God out of a pure heart. That's the qualifier for you to have a true fellowship with the person beside you. God is telling us right there. Flee youthful lusts. Follow after righteousness and faith and charity and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So, of course, if I go to a church and they don't have a pure heart and not calling unto the Lord out of a pure heart, I probably have an opportunity that I should leave that place. I don't need to be loyal to that impurity and filthiness. Amen? Number three, my third point is understanding our temptations are common. Common. This is interesting. This word common, the word for it is anthropinos. Anthropinos. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of anthropology. Anthropology is really the study of man. So when he's talking about common, he's saying these are things that are intrinsically a part of humankind, of mankind. So when you're going through something, What's happening is in the testing that you're facing and the test and the temptations that you're facing, you're facing something just simply based because of the sinful nature of the human and mankind. And everybody else is going through the same thing. You're not the only one. Well, I'm the only one that has a life like mine. No, you're not. I'm the only one that has to battle this family situation. No, you're not. I'm the only one that has a bad boss. No, you're not. <laughs> or I'm the only one that has a, a co-worker that gives me a hard time. No, you're not. You're not the only one. Everybody goes through it. It's common. Common to man. Amen? You're experiencing what every other sinning person experiences in life. And that's exactly why we're experiencing it because of sin that came into the world. Every day you wake up, your workplace will have common issues. Every day you wake up, your marriages will have common issues. Every day you wake up, your raising children will have common issues. This is why it's, you, know, you need to understand people when they're battling and, and raising children and they're battling in their marriage because it's common. Amen? Don't look down your nose at people and say, oh, how could they? Well, they could because it's common to man and you're going through the same thing, or you could go through the same thing. And that's why we need to be patient with people. That's why we need to care about where they're at, not just always wanting to push them down because everything's not lined up exactly right. Amen? Every day you wake up, there's going to be church membership as a common issue. (laughs) People in the church giving you a problem. People in the church saying this. There's gossiping. There's this. There's that. That's common issues. Now, we're trying to make it less common. But I think as we surrender ourselves to the Lord, we don't have to necessarily surrender ourselves to those common sinful tendencies. I think we can combat that. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. If all of us here tonight would give ourselves to be the best Christian possible and you are succeeding at it, uh, it's not going to be long before someone's going to walk in the back door right out of the world, fresh out of the world, stinking like the world, and they're going to sit down beside you. Now, how are you going to handle that? Amen? Many times, and I've seen this happen so so much, you know, we come out of the world, we know the patience that the Lord has given us, we know the time that he's given us to deal with stuff and to overcome things, and we've gotten to this place where we've overcome and, and won some battles, and someone comes in with some problems, and we're just right away, oh, how dare they do that? And we go to them, we start, <laughs> my goodness. It's amazing, there was one person back in my home church many, many years ago, you know, back there, baptism's a big issue. So you'd have people coming into the church, and of course, when you overcome that, you feel good about it, and you say, hey, <laughs> you know, it's not so bad, and, and uh, you know, I, there was a big scary face in front of me for many years that kept me from doing what God wanted me to do. I've overcome that, and I have the victory, but you can make the mistake now of looking down your nose at someone else that's going through the same thing that you were. They go, why don't you just do it? Why don't you do it? <laughs> Folks, if that would work, I would do that all the time to you. <laughs> I don't do that. You give people time. 
The Holy Spirit will do a work. I just keep preaching the word of God. We just keep praying and doing what God's asked us to do. Ultimately, if that person wants to move forward for God, they'll have to face that particular issue. Amen. Give them the time. Whether it's cutting their hair, whether it's changing their clothes, whatever it may be. Now, folks, I understand we may have a youth event and there's certain things that are required. There's certain things required for ministry in the church and, and we won't just allow just any old thing. But I'm not talking about dealing with ministry issues. I'm talking about dealing with person, persons. Many times people say, well, I'm not ready to serve in a ministry like that. I'm not ready to change that much. And you know what? That's fine. We don't need everybody to work in that particular ministry. Amen? It's a growth process. That's what we do. We have to do that. We gotta give that patience to people. So in each of those areas I just mentioned, every day you're gonna face tests that you'll either respond to spiritually correct or you will respond in the flesh. Paul here in this passage is giving a very broad framework for us to contemplate. He's not giving us the details. He's just saying, take heed. He's just generally throwing it out there, giving you a broad swipe and saying, everything out there, be careful, lest you fall. Amen? But you start making that practical. You start making that into your everyday little decisions. Do you know that you can make a decision on the job today that will cost you your job? Or tomorrow morning? Now, tonight you feel good. Tonight I'm feeling spiritual preacher. I'm feeling pretty good. I heard your message. You might even make a decision sitting in your chair and so forth. But when you're faced with that tomorrow, you weren't ready. You weren't taking heed. Your eyes weren't open. You weren't contemplating what could happen if that person pushes you too far. Have you already dealt with that before? See, we don't deal with that. In fact, we kind of sit there and say, okay, I've handled well so far, and I don't know how far I got, this person can push me. <laughs> if that's the way you're talking, the devil will make sure he'll push you over that line that you've drawn. And then you'll blow it. <clears throat> and if you won't lose your job, you'll definitely lose your influence. And that's even worse. I'd much rather lose a job than lose my influence. But many Christians are losing their influence all the time. Their influence over their family. Their influence in the church. Their influence on the job site. <clears throat> I know the Lord wants you to make money and he wants you to take home a paycheck and he's going to use that. But I'm going to tell you the major reason you are at that workplace is you're supposed to be a light in a dark place. And if that doesn't become your major goal, you're going to blow it. Keep your eyes open. You got to see. <laughs> Take heed. <laughs> Amen. It's the normal times that we face the tests of life. Israel, think about when they, when they, when they made that idol and they began to worship that and they, they, they became guilty of idolatry. What was really that led to that? What was the situation? I know they were already discontent in their heart and so forth. And so some of those things you can pick out and say, okay, I've been a little discontent lately and I got to be careful because this can lead to another step where I can make some serious errors. But you know, the, the immediate thing that the problem was with Israel that day was in verse number one. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount... The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. What is that? <laughs> what is that? What is the big problem here? What's the big issue that led them into idolatry? They didn't wait on the Lord. It's a very simple thing, but it's one of the hardest things to do, especially if you're living in the flesh. Amen. Waiting on the Lord. There's a decision you need to make. You feel urgent. You jump into it. You make a terrible mistake. It's hard for us to wait. We want to make things happen. 
And then the devil plays with our heads where we think, well, if I don't make the decision, this will happen and that'll happen and that'll happen. We got all these scenarios in our head and that's why he says, be careful how you think. Wait, <laughs> wait on the Lord. <laughs> it's a huge doctrine of scripture is waiting on the Lord. It's a huge part of the word of God is learning to wait on him. In fact, if we don't wait on him and we're making decisions without waiting on him, we're really sinning against the Lord. Not waiting is a worse thing than acting if it's not according to God's will. We understand that. Their impatience began feeding an urgency of knowing what they must do. How are we going to get where we're supposed to go? Who's going to lead us there? Moses isn't coming back. Yeah, they couldn't wait. Because they couldn't wait, they ended up fashioning a God that would lead them, that would go before them. That was the reason they wanted the idol. Not just so they could get up and play and, and have a party. In fact, the whole reason was, up make us gods which shall go before us. Something that will show me the way. Something that will show me the, the plan I need to follow. We want a plan, but we don't want to wait for God's plan. And we can be guilty of that as Christians. We can be guilty of that as servants of God in the house of God. I've been trying, even through this whole building project, you know, you feel you got to do something, but you well, let's just wait. Sometimes you feel, I'm waiting so long, people must think I don't know, don't know what I'm doing, but you just wait and sometimes you just got to wait for God just to do something. And there's times I thought I should have waited a little bit longer. Sometimes we jump ahead too quick. But then we think that somehow it's just our skill and our ability to get things done is what's going to make it happen. That's not true. Skill wasn't the problem. We had lots of skill. A lot of people with a lot of skill. You know what the hardest thing was is to wait on the Lord for things because you're trying to trust him. Because <laughs> you know this isn't just a business where we're going to make money in the next week and we're going to do this, that, or the other. This is God's house and we got to make sure that we do it right and we, we had all kinds of issues we had to work through and people that we were dealing with that we couldn't just roll over like you can in business. Well, just tell them to be quiet. <laughs> I felt like even as a pastor, I couldn't really, I had to be careful how I communicated even to our, our trades and different people that were here because I cared more for their soul than I did about the job that they were doing. Do you understand that? That's a hard thing. <laughs> that's a hard thing. But that's not what the world thinks. And that's not the way many Christians think. Well, this is business. We'll just walk right over them. We'll just tell them where it's at. Maybe your influence is far more valuable than any money you're saving. Do you understand that? Oh, let's be careful. Let's be careful. It's not those big issues that we're going to be <laughs> being careful of and having our eyes open to. It's the little things that happen to us throughout the day. The little tests that, that hit us. Not the big things. Every day you got to wake up with your eyes open. you got to think about before you get there, this person, what kind of person is he? What kind of attitude does he have? How am I ready? Am I prepared for this? Have I talked to God about this? Do I have a word of, do I have some scripture in my heart? Something that'll keep me at peace no matter how much they try to stir me up. Ever gone to a family gathering and you're waiting, who's, what this family member's going to say? And you say, oh boy, I'm not looking forward to this. Well, you got to get yourself all prayed up and scriptured up. So that when it hits you, it's like water off of a duck's back. Amen? Because the devil wants to steal your influence. That's his whole purpose. Take heed. Be careful how you think. My last point is understanding the control in temptation. The control. Verse 13, it says this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man... But God is faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't say man is faithful. He doesn't say the situation is faithful. 
He says, there's only one thing you got to concern yourself with here, that God is faithful. <laughs> he is faithful. Our God is faithful. Faithful means worthy of belief, worthy of our trust, worthy of our confidence. I wish that we would dictate or define our faithfulness based on the faithfulness of our God. Well, the Bible says it's required in man that a man be found faithful or that a steward be found faithful. The same word is used for when it says, but God is faithful. Now, how faithful do you want God to be? How trustworthy do you want him to be? How, how uh, worthy of confidence do you want God to be? So well, I want him to be completely, complete. that's why the Bible says that confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken foot or a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. We should say, I want to I define my faithfulness with the same definition that I define God's faithfulness. Because that's where it flows from. Amen. We got to be careful that we're faithful with the things God called us to do. That means trustworthy. Can they count on you? Well, I've committed to this preacher and, and I'm going to do it. Are you going to do it? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, preacher. I just can't make it today, you know. <laughs> make it. Make it. Unless you've got some contagious disease, make it. I've got COVID. Make it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> when one is faithful, one can be counted on. The devil wants us to believe that God cannot be counted on. And not only that, but he wants us to believe that God's keeping us from good things. Just like he did in the garden with Eve. Oh no, if he knows you eat of that fruit, you're going to be just like him. You're going to be wise like God. You're going to know good and evil. Well, that part he was right. <laughs> but they didn't need to know evil. You need to realize that God is not tempting you to sin. Whatever thing is happening on the job or in your family, or uh, God is not behind that. Do you understand that God did not make sin in this world? He made a way out of it. That's what God did. Everybody wants to blame God for the sin of this world. No, you blame yourself for the sin of the world, and then you give credit for God taking us out of the sin of the world. Because that's truth. Amen? That's truth. This world was, fell into condemnation because of our choice. Not God's choice. We made that choice. And by the way, God didn't owe us to save us. Until he said the word. You know, in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. You say, well, that's quite an interesting, no, that's not just an interesting verse. That was God giving a promise after we had fallen into sin where he had no obligation to save us, but the moment that promise came out of his mouth, he is now obligated for all time. The Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel of the scripture Genesis 3:15 when he made that promise he says i am committing myself aren't you glad god is faithful <laughs> god is faithful since that day he has held his part of the bargain we're still running we're still in sin we're still blaming god he's still trying to pull us out he's faithful so let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He is not going to bring sin into your life. He is not going to bring situations like that into your life. If they are there, he may allow them to take place. He's not going to stop everything from taking place because he doesn't owe us that. He never promised he would stop it. Amen? But he also promises, remember our promise, the greatest promise in the Christian life is what? That all things will work together for good to them that love God. So there he made a promise. He's faithful. 
So we can sit there and try to blame God for something that he never committed he was going to do in the first place by stopping every bad thing from ever happening in our life, which he's not going to do. You're going to go through hard things. Your children will go through hard things. Your grandchildren will go through hard things. But all you know is you've got a promise of God that he is faithful, that if they will turn to him, he will save them. He will take them out of the sin. And any bad thing that's ever happened, he says, I'll turn it around to good because I am a good and faithful God. Amen. There's a lot of good things about God. <laughs> and one of the major things is God is faithful. He is trustworthy, worthy of your confidence. In fact, in James 1.16, after he just talks about this word, don't let any man say that I'm tempted of God. <laughs> oh, God took my family member. God took him away. God is trying to hurt me. No, he's not. It says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't err. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So on the heels of him saying that, hey, there's no, he's not tempting you to sin. He's not bringing these things. But I'll tell you, everything that comes down from God is good. Everything that comes down from God is perfect. Everything that comes down from God, is there's no variableness. He's not going to turn on you. He's not going to betray you. What he says will take place. And if he's shown that to you, he will follow through. Amen. God is faithful. That's how we should tailor our faithfulness to the things of God. After that definition. Our temptation is based on our weakness. So following that verse in James 1.13 where it says, Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So if you're falling into sin, it's not because God is doing something to make you fail. It's because of your heart. It's because of your desire, your longings. Amen? In other words, God's saying, it's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault, not my fault. Amen? The source of temptation comes from one of three sources, the devil, the world, and our flesh. Those are the three sources of temptation. The devil, of course, is a strategist and he's working on a plan for your life and the world is his platform to work that plan out. And your flesh is the devil's ally. That flesh in you actually likes the same things that the devil likes. And that's why we need to crucify that flesh because if we allow that flesh to become strong in our life, he actually allies up with the devil in the world. They become allies in the battle against you. <laughs> Amen. Oh, never let that happen. We have three enemies. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the trickery of the devil. He's real. It scares me sometimes when I see people don't give a lot of credence to the fact that there is a real devil and he is working in very practical things in your personal life and you gotta be careful that you do not give yourself to those things. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He's got devices that he puts into play. Our eyes must be open to all three of these enemies. Now, to finish off this message, God gives two promises about temptations. First one is this. We are never tempted above our ability we're never tempted above our ability. Now, this is a great promise because what he's done now is he has actually given you something you can hold on to. If he's faithful, he's telling you this, uh, I'll guarantee you this, you will never be tempted beyond your ability to resist it. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. Is he talking to the lost? No. The lost can't overcome. The lost live in their lusts. They walk according to the lusts of their mind. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 2. But the Bible says we as God's children, we, we will never face a temptation that we cannot overcome. Never. It says you're above that you're able. Above means across or beyond or over. Beyond your ability. 
Able means to have power, whether by virtue of one's own ability and resources. That means you have everything, all the power, all the resources, everything you need to, to have the ability to go beyond the temptation. That's what it's saying there. That's good. <laughs> That's a good promise for you and I. I hope you like that one. <laughs> Amen. Because what he did is he just nailed down something for you. He is faithful. He just made you a promise. He says, I'll guarantee this. You can never say, well, this is just too much for me. You know, you're lying. It's not too much for you. Well, I gave in because how could I resist? Well, you could have resisted. You had the power to resist. You had the ability to overcome. You can't use the temptation itself as an excuse as to why you fail. You have to blame yourself. I gave in because of my desires. I gave in because of me. Not anything else. This simply speaking that there is always a way out of a time of temptation because we have the power to escape. The lost have no way out. They have no abilities to lean on. But we do. We absolutely do. So next time you're tempted to go to that computer and go places you ought not go. By the way, parents, put some, some safety things on your computers and your phones. Don't have to be dumb about it. <laughs> Amen. Don't have to be foolish. Don't have to be ignorant. We know that there is battles. And, and by the way, when it comes to the Christian life, we have the ability, but you have to come to the point where you understand it and where you know how to think about it. Look at Joseph when he faced Potiphar's wife. What had he already come to the conclusion of in his mind and heart? See, if he wouldn't have had those conclusions, he would have failed. But he already had some things very much settled. In fact, she says, hey, I'm giving myself to you. He says, you know what? Um, everything that I have has been given to me by God. And nothing has been withheld from me except for you. And I'm content with the boundaries that God has given me. <laughs> so it wasn't just... Somebody walking around not caring about truth, not, not evaluating, not having their eyes open about their life. This is someone who has contemplated, who has gone through slavery, who's, who's on the verge of going to jail. This man is someone that has put the Lord first and the Lord is with him no matter how hard things got. He says, you know what? No matter how things appear, there's always, God always blesses me according to me staying within the boundaries that he has given me. And I've determined I'm going to stay in those boundaries. <laughs> so when Potiphar's wife came along, he said, you're not in the boundary. And he ran. But even then, he didn't just take for granted that he had enough strength to do it. He immediately, when he saw what was going on, he turned and ran. Many of us, we don't even have the thought formulated to battle this in our mind, never mind the running. Yet there's people out there who have no thoughts. They have no strategy. They've got no thought about overcoming the temptations of life. And then they stay. And God says, no, you have the ability. It's just you've never exercised your heart and mind towards it. Amen. It can't be a lazy Christian. Take heed. Open up your eyes. Start evaluating things. Start looking at your life and saying, okay, what are some of the things that could happen here if I go down this road? What are some of the things that could happen if I allow this to continue in my life or I keep going and spending time with this certain person? But we got ourselves deceived. We say, oh, no, no, I can handle it. It's not a big deal. No, they're okay. You know they're living in sin. And you keep on, you keep on, because you think that you're stronger than you are. And your evaluation's already corrupt. And you don't even know what your boundaries are anymore. It's easy to cross the boundary when you've already crossed in your mind. And before you ever cross it out there, I'll guarantee you, you crossed it in here. 
Amen? Never tempted above that to rabble. In fact, um, we have the, the ability to limit Satan's influence in our lives. Did you know that? The Bible says, neither give place to the devil in the book of Ephesians. You actually have the power to limit the devil in your life. Look at Job 1 verse 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, and perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land." Do you think that the devil had control over Job's substance and the things that he had that he'd be increasing in the land? (laughs) So what happened here is Job had a heart that was perfect towards God and he was upright in the things that he did and said. In fact, when his children got together, he would offer sacrifices in case they did anything that would offend the Lord. And he feared God. He had a reverence toward God always. And because of this this heart towards the things of truth and righteousness, God had put a hedge not only about him, but about his family. Not only about his family, but his possessions and everything that he had so that he would increase in the land. Just like we would be in heaven if there was no curse. That's what he was experiencing. No curse. But so many of us, we open up that hedge because we don't fear God. We don't do righteously. We're not upright in all of our decisions. And, and then the devil has more influence to tempt us. You know, the Bible tells us that Job, that hedge did come down. But that hedge came down because of God's choice, not Job's choice. And whatever test you go through, whatever battle you face... You ought to be strong enough to face it because the Lord will never allow you to go through something that you're not strong enough to face. But if you tear down your own hedge, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. You do that by not living righteously. You do that by not following scripture. You do that by losing your temper and becoming an angry person. You do that by, by, not, by talking bad about others and about causing problems and sowing discord. All these different things cause the hedge to come down in your life. Be careful. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Now, we like to go to the first couple of verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. But the next verse is, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. Depart from evil. Proverbs eight thirteen, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Wow, the harsh mouth. If you think people should just take your filthy language and accept it, the Bible says no. The Bible says they ought to hate it. Now you may be offended that people hate your language, but I'm going to tell you something, I hate it. When filthy things come out of people's mouths. And when they say sorry, Pastor, because they know I'm a a person that believes the Bible and goes to church and so forth. Oh, I'm sorry I said that. I never say it's okay. It wasn't okay. You've sinned. You've sinned. Froward mouth, I hate it. You hate evil. You hate the pride. You hate it when people puff themselves up. Well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the Bible says if you fear the Lord, you're going to hate pride. You're going to hate it. Well, that's pretty strong. It sure is. It sure is. We have the ability to limit temptation by prayer to the one who has all power. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. He can do exceedingly above all that we ask or think, according to the power 
that worketh in us. Can I leave you with one more thought before we close? If you want to overcome temptation, you have to give heed to the word of God. You have to use the word of God. See, Jesus gave us that example. Isn't it amazing that here Jesus, uh, when he was led into the wilderness, where am I here? I'm going to find it. Oh yeah, here it is. That he dealt with three of these major issues that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He dealt with lust when the devil says, turn these stones into bread. He said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, the Israelites needed to hear that when they were complaining about the manna. Psalm 119 verse 11, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The second thing that Jesus dealt with was tempting Christ. The desire to push boundaries. He says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He realized that his safety was based in the Lord, but in a fear and reverential respect of the promise that he's been given, not to push the boundaries of God. Well, I'm going to be okay because you know, God's going to take care of me no matter what. You keep pushing, you keep testing God. One day he's going to cause it to fail. One day the parachute won't open. One day that thing is going to happen. Don't tempt him. Third thing he dealt with is idolatry. Matthew 4.10 then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. See, he was dealing with idolatry, he was dealing with tempting Christ, he was dealing with lust. And he told us, this is how you overcome. This is the way to escape. The way to escape is believe the word of God and use the word of God. Use the word of God. See, if you're not going to go to the scriptures and learn scripture, and that's why we want you to memorize, we want you to have the word of God in your heart, you've got to learn to use it. When that temptation comes, whatever you're battling with, you should be looking for scripture to deal with the very weaknesses that you know you deal with. If you've got pride, you should be worshiping, you should be uh, memorizing scripture on pride. If you've got a problem with fornication and pornography, you've got to go to the word of God and start memorizing scripture in relation to pornography and sexual things. Use the word of God. Thus it is written. Thus it is written. The son of God did it. I think we need to do it. Amen? And it was powerful because it shut the devil up. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you submit to God? The word of God. That's how you submit the scripture, the principles, the Bible, the promises. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Are you taking heed? Are your eyes open? Are you serious about your life and the things you face every day? Are you planning how to handle those battles of life every day? Are you, are you, being, are you preparing yourself for going to work tomorrow? Are you preparing yourself for seeing that family member? Or do you already have a bitter heart and spirit? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You need to stand. You need to realize that there's nothing special about your situation. Everybody else is going through the same things you are. You can handle it. Two promises. You have the ability to do it. He's not going to give you more than you're able to bear. And there's a way to escape. There's a way to get out. Just like Joseph when he took off. Use the scripture. Use the word of God. Use some verses. Prepare your heart for the time of testing and you will overcome. Pray and he'll give you the power you need. Exceeding great and precious promises, the Bible says, whereby you escape the lusts that are in the world. 